When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, back with Paul Zeiss for his weekly Zeiss is Right video. Lots to talk about this week. Paul, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. It's finally getting a little chilly in the air. Paul can bust out the long sleeves. Uh, I see you've got them on, too. So that's my season, That you know, when you get the nice comfy clothes out. Uh, are, are you celebrating the fact that the Pirates will not finish behind the Cardinals for the first time since like 1998 or whatever it was, 99 or 98 or whatever year it was? I'm busting out the champagne, Paul. I am, uh, <laughs> it is a historic moment that we'll remember for all time. Um, so congratulations to the Pirates, who we're going to talk a little about in a little bit on this show. We're also going to talk some Steelers. Kenny Pickett's freedom at the line of scrimmage has been a topic this week. Um, the the growth the speed of the growth of the Steelers offense has also been a bit of a topic so we're going to get into both of those things before we do just a reminder that this show is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh there's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella who can help you save on energy costs year round schedule a free in home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget give them a call at eight six six five nine three one five six zero to discuss your project further, that's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, um, it's the topic of Brian Backo's mailbag today. Uh, Mike Tomlin was asked about it in his news conference. Kenny Pickett has been asked about it this week. And they've both given cryptic answers and you know non-answers, frankly, to the question of how much freedom does Kenny Pickett have at the line of scrimmage? to change plays. It's been a bit of a topic because there's been times when the Steelers have run into, you know, five down lineman defenses that you would expect a quarterback maybe to check out of at times. Um, what do you, what do you make of, of their lack of an answer? I believe coach uh, Mike Tomlin's answer was it's a coaching decision, not a player decision, implying that there is still some level of control, um, you know, retained by Matt Canada, presumably, to you know, make those calls, and once he makes those calls, those calls stick regardless of what the defense is. What, what do you make of this whole conversation with regard to to the offense? Uh, I, I actually think that it's probably much ado about nothing. I mean, I think when uh, Mike Tomlin says it's a coaching decision, I think he's probably talking about uh, game planning and all of the different things they do during the week and how they put in, you know, the audibles and what they're looking for. And if, if they get certain looks, does Kenny, you know, Kenny Pickett has to change it, you know, change the play out of whatever they're in. Um, I think that's all part of what they're doing. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's a, a situation where Kenny Pickett can't change plays. He probably doesn't have the freedom of when Ben was, you know, his last few years where Ben was basically just calling the plays anyway. Um but I think that, you know, it's all part of game planning. When, you know, if, if Kenny Pickett gets up to the line and sees something that 
is not, you know, uh, uh, what is going to work. You know, if, if a play they're in is not going to work, uh, I'm sure that they've throughout the week, you know, given him a couple of alternate plays that, hey, you know, if you get this look, you know, or you get this look, then you might have to switch into this or that. So um, I really think it's much to do about nothing. I, I, I get it. We, you know, we, we, all, we all need to write about things and talk about things for the entire week. But um, it doesn't seem like it's that much different than it was. Other than, I mean, he probably, again, doesn't have the freedom that Ben did, where Ben just basically could do what he wanted. But I, I bet you he's got a little more freedom than you think. I think I think there are some people that are coming to this conversation legitimately, Paul, who say, why are you running into these stacked fronts? Why can't you just change the play out of that? And who see that and then question how much <laughs> pick it has. Is there also a level where there's just some people who are looking for anyone other than Matt Canada to be in charge of the offense, whether that's Kenny Pickett, whether that was Ben Roethlisberger. You remember that one game in Baltimore they were losing, or was it at home? Whatever. They were playing Baltimore where uh, it was the schoolyard football comment where it seemed like Ben just threw out the game plan and did what he wanted to do for this for the second half, brought them back to win in 2021. Um, is, is there a component of that going on here where, where some people just want Kenny Pickett to have the freedom to tell Matt Canada to forget about his game plan? Well, I, I would say this. I mean – if you remember when Ben was doing it, it, it was always about, hey, well, the good plays are called by Ben. The bad plays are called by Canada, right? Uh -huh. And now, I mean, if you think about it now, um, it's similar. If, the, if something doesn't work, it's Canada. If it works, they've got to find somebody else to give credit for. You know, like I wrote on Monday, you, you got to give them credit. I mean, you got to give him credit. He did a good job. I thought, you know, Matt Canada did a good job on Sunday, but you're right. There is a, there is a element of people out there who all they really want to do is give credit to so, somebody other than Matt Canada. And if there's anything that goes wrong, they want to blame Matt Canada. And uh, so it doesn't matter what the actual narrative or what the actual, uh, you know, uh, facts are. That's just the case. That's how people are going to, you know, that's how people are going to, to see the thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a level of wish fulfillment that they want offensive coordinator Kenny Pickett, just like they had offensive coordinator Big Big Ben at times, um, depending upon how true that was. You know, it's not as if Ben has ever, you know, um, you hyped himself up and, and taken credit for things that, he, you know, that maybe he didn't completely do on his own. I'm, I'm sure that's never happened. Um, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about some of Mike Tomlin's other comments this week. Um, <clears throat> he was also asked about, you know, the pace of, of the growth of the offense. And, and he talks a lot about the process and, you know, it's not a finished product and it'll be a finished product at the end. You know, our job is to win games now, but you know, it's, it's really a work in progress. And one of your colleagues at the fan, Chris Muller, you know, commented on that and said, it, it, this isn't the only way it has to work where it takes a year or now we're in, we're into year two. And apparently it's still not a finished product in terms of, you know, implementing this offensive game plan with Matt Cannon and Kenny Pickett. And then he points, points out, Chris Muller points out that down in Miami, things snapped pretty quickly into place with Tua Tagovailoa, Mike McDaniel. Um, what do you make of this, this, what I'm, I'm going to call it the crockpot approach to offensive you know, you throw things in the slow cooker and 
they grow a little bit over time and and then there's like the grill down in down in Miami where things kind of um you know seem to work immediately where do the Steelers where so should the Steelers fit in this situation how how quickly should people reasonably expect results and and have we already gone too long here well, I mean, again, you've got a young quarterback, and I know Tua's kind of young too. But I, 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 I hate the comparison because I think Tua, I think you know they've got some better players down there, and you know maybe Mike, Mike McDaniel is, you know, this offensive genius or whatever. Uh, but I look at the Steelers' growth as an offense, and I feel like they've been basically severely uh, limited because I think they, honestly. I think their players are a little bit overrated. I hate to say it, Adam. I mean, I think part of the problem is I don't know that the offensive line is as great as it, it should be or is as good as it was billed to be. Um, I think the receivers are just okay. We've said we've talked about that for a long, long time. I think you've got okay running backs. I don't think either one of those guys is great. And I think you've got a quarterback that probably is closer to average than he is anything else. So, you know, I, I think one of the things that they're doing – uh, it, it, you know, when you've got the receivers and the quarterback and you've got some of the skilled players that they have in, in Miami, it's a lot easier to draw up, a, a, you know, you know, home run plays and big plays and all the other things that they do down there. I, I think what they're trying to do with the Steelers is figure out how are we going to be most successful as an offense? And I thought we saw a little bit of what they need to do the other night, right? I mean, Kenny Pickett really outside of the throw down the middle to, to Calvin Austin really didn't make any. Yeah, memorable, really good throws, right? He didn't have to. They schemed them away from pressure. They, they rolled them out of the pocket. They got guys, you know, matched up with the right people. I mean, the touchdown to Pat Fryermuth was ex a classic example of that. You know, I, I'm uh, 53 years old and fat. And guess what? I think I could have thrown that touchdown pass, right? Because all it was was a play action. The defense went one way, right? And because of the coverage on the other side, they got Pat Frymuth. Uh, they got Pat Frymuth matched up with a linebacker running out to the corner of the end zone with the quarterback going this way. It was just pitch and catch. It was an icy. That's what they got. It's probably what they're going to have to do. And I think that kind of offense can be effective. But I also think that kind of offense takes a little bit more time to to try and figure out. Okay, these are these are things that are the the that are good. These are things we probably can't do. These are, you know, because I don't believe, I don't know that you have a quarterback, right, that you can just, right now at least. I mean, I think he could become a good player. But right now, I don't think you have a quarterback who you can just put some Tom Brady offense in or some, you know, Peyton Manning offense in or whatever, and, you know, just kind of say, hey, let, you know, let's wing it and let's go. I think he's a guy you have to scheme to help. And I think that they're trying to figure that out. So uh, I, I just feel like it's 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 – you know, we, we can be frustrated with the pace, but I do really believe that um, they're trying to find out what they can do successfully, consistently enough so they can win games. Kind of to that point, Paul, another thing Mike Tomlin talked about was how, you know, the, the success kind of builds on itself. And when you don't, when you're not going three and out on every drive, you can introduce more concepts, you can introduce more um, diversity of personnel, all the, you know, we screamed for two weeks about where's the tight end. Well, they get more snaps against Vegas. They get the tight end involved. Pat Fryer moves, scores a touchdown, makes some catches. Um, 
At a certain point, though, Paul, I, I mean, I think that's all well and good that, that yes, you that this offense looks better when you can kind of mix the tempo and mix those things together. But if you can't get those building blocks right, those, you know, get that first first down on a drive, aren't you just at a certain point bad at offense? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no question about it. Right now, I think the jury's out whether or not they're bad on offense or good on offense. I think the jury's still out. I don't, I think that's very fair. Um, you know, for all the talk about how much better they were this week, Adam, I mean, they were a complete no-show in the fourth quarter. I mean, quite frankly, um, is this was another game where the defense basically had to bail them out. The only difference is the defense didn't, uh, score two touchdowns like the week before because the offense at least scored a little bit, but you know, they had 30, 20, you know, they had 23 points. It felt like they left a lot of points out there, and they still had a lot of drives that were just sort of three and out and didn't do anything. Actually, to be honest, the uh, the other unsung hero for this game was Presley Harvin. I mean, if he would have had, you know, the kind of game he's had in the past where he was shanking balls and not kicking them good and, you know what I mean, all that other stuff, the game probably would have been different. But he was booming them and, and pinning them back and all that other stuff and giving them a chance giving the defense a chance to really, uh, you know, get the ball back for the offense. So there's no question they might be bad at offense. But my thing is it, it it is a work in progress. And I think what we saw the other night was, uh, you know, sort of a couple little snapshots of, okay, this is what it can be. This is what it can be. This is what it can be, right? And And you move on from there. Paul, uh, I'm going to get into some pit football talk here in a little bit, some Penn State, some Pirates topics before we wrap up for the day. Uh, but I want to – last football question. We haven't really addressed it on the channel this week. Any thoughts on the Travis Kelsey-Taylor Swift situation? <laughs> um, is it – does it make the NFL feel a lot smaller than you thought it was last week when uh, the – you know, all kind of different forces of pop culture are converging on the NFL and – you know, seeming to notice this, what we think of as the, the behemoth, all-consuming entity, and then the, the Swifties show up, and it feels like, you know, we're just a small group of people here watching football. Uh, no, not really. I'll tell you, um, to me, it, it, it feels like Travis Kelsey is beneath her. Like, what? If you're, if you're Taylor Swift, you can't do better than that, meathead? That's what, that was what I kept saying. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like you can't do better than that, and so uh, the the whole thing though is. But again, it's it's NFL marketing genius, isn't it, bit Adam? They figure it out. Um, boy, we got Taylor Swift in the building. Let's let's make sure we show her a million times, and make sure it's a storyline, and make sure you know that people know this. And you know, on Monday there were people talking about it, and you know it was I saw it on ESPN. Uh, you know the. Uh, 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 what was it, Sports Center? They actually had a little segment on it. I mean, in the end, the NFL always wins, right? The NFL always wins. And guess what? I just saw something yesterday that said uh, she is expected to be in the building again this week, where the Chiefs, wherever the Chiefs play. I don't even know they play, but they play the Jets. That's 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 probably why, Paul, because they're in New York. Oh, uh, they're, they're going to be in New York City. She's going to be in a box again. So, uh, you know, that'll be a, a game that nobody should watch because it should be an awful game. But people will tune in and watch because of her. 
Yeah, I know my uh, I know my girlfriend will be uh, watching with me. <laughs> uh, she was she was glued to the TV during the Chiefs game. Um, I, I had Red Zone on, but she was glued to the one TV I have a little bit lower, uh, trying to see Taylor Swift. So um, yeah, I think it's good for the NFL and good for guys who are trying to watch some football, right, Paul? <laughs> on Sundays. Oh yeah, I mean I guess, but the problem is now you got to watch the Chiefs Jets game. That's the problem. You know, it's like it's like uh, you, you tell Taylor Swift, listen, you know, you, like, for instance, like Baltimore plays Cleveland this weekend, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, okay, yeah. Could you go to the Baltimore-Cleveland game instead of the Jets so that it, we can watch that game instead of this Jets-Chiefs Jets game? Uh, but I'll tell you what, as an aside, before we move on here real quick, Adam, if you want to talk about, you know, a franchise – I mean, we talk about the Pirates, right? That is just, I, I mean, it just, I don't know, has like a, 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 some sort, someone actually cast a spell on long ago, apparently, is the Jets. I mean, the Jets were on hard knocks. You know, we spent the whole training camp watching them with Aaron Rodgers, all of them in their meeting rooms, you know, and, the, you know, I, I remember there's a clip where Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, in a scrimmage, he kind of scrambles out, throws a dart on the, you know, right on his shoulder, blah, blah, blah. The coaches are all like, you know, high-fiving, and our quarterback's really good, you know? And there was so much excitement for the Jets this year. And four plays in, it gets blown up. And now they've got Zach Wilson and Joe Namath is on TV ripping them. You can't find somebody better than Zach Wilson. I'm tired of him. Move on from him. Oh, it's melting down. Apparently this week they had fights in the locker room. They had fights on the field. They had a coach fight a player. At practice, they had a player throw a ball at a coach. I mean, you want to talk about it. I've sort of been watching it. I've sort of been watching it uh, from afar, uh, and I'm kind of just laughing at it, to be honest. They should send the cameras back in, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I keep I keep watching a season long, you know, production of this with with the Jets. The Hard Knocks was good, and all the you know all the positivity. I'd love to see you know kind of what's happened since then. Unfortunately, we won't get to see that. Last thing I'll say on Taylor Swift, Paul, is I'd love I I would have loved to see the reaction if this happened to the Steelers instead of the Chiefs because the Chiefs can get away with the distraction stuff because they're winning Super Bowls. I'd love to see it if it was like you know a Steelers tight end dating Taylor Swift. And um and and see what the reaction would be. I think there'd be a lot of angry yinzers in the house uh, and more more team distraction stuff with like Antonio Brown and stuff. Um, but we're gonna put the we're gonna put the NFL talk aside here for the rest of the show. We're gonna talk about some pit football here coming up. I uh, just want to remind you of a couple of our sponsors before we move on. Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg. Persky and White, for over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or visit gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. And then uh, we also want to thank Propel Schools. Propel's 13 public charter schools in Allegheny County build a solid academic foundation for lifelong learning and offer more personalized instruction at every level of your child's kindergarten through 12th grade education journey. Give your children the quality education they deserve. Learn more and apply at Propel Schools by visiting propelschools.org. Um... I teased the pit, the pit talk, Paul. Really, the only question I have for you is, is this. Is Pitt going to make a bowl game this season? They're one and three. They've got a lot of ranked teams left on this schedule. 
Um, I think they're going to have to pick up some wins. You know, they're either going to have to beat all the non-ranked teams, which I think is going to be a tough ask considering you've lost to Cincinnati and um, West Virginia already, or you're going to have to pull some upsets somewhere. Do you think Pitt can do that and get to six wins to, to get to bowl eligibility? So they're one and three, which means they have what eight games left, right? They yes. have to go. They have to go five and three to get to a bowl game, basically. I'll give them Boston College, and I'll give them this week Virginia Tech. That's two. Now find me three more games that you say they're going to win on their schedule, right? Maybe Syracuse, although Syracuse looks like they're not bad. I don't, I don't think they're great, but, they, you know, they look like they're not bad. They got a good quarterback. That game's up in New York, right? I mean, are they going to beat Duke? <laughs> I don't, good luck with that. Uh, are they going to beat Louisville? Good luck with that. Florida State? Notre Dame? Um, you know, I'm looking at their schedule, and I say I could easily see three and nine. In fact, I might say uh, I, I probably, I, I might even say I, I think three and nine is like more likely than seven and five. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I could see them getting to six and six. I mean, you, you know, you figure they they beat Boston College, they beat Virginia Tech, they beat Syracuse. You know, that's that's what four wins. I mean, you know, I, I think they there's a there's an opportunity. For them to win a few games, I think some of these teams are, you know, like Syracuse four and zero, but I don't know how good they are. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I really don't. And if they lose this week, it's over. Forget about it. There's no chance they get into a bowl game. I mean, this is a game. This is the worst team they play, so they better win this one. Uh, I think they play at Wake Forest too, don't they? That I mean, that's going to be an interesting game too. Uh, so my point is, I don't know that they have five slam dunk wins left on their schedule. And so you asked me though, are they going to make a bowl game? I, I, I'll tell you, I, I think three and nine is probably more of a possibility than seven and five, six and six. They can probably get to, but seven and five, I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree about seven. And five. I think it's really a question of, can you get to six? Um, Paul, if they don't make a bowl game, let's, let's say they get to, you know, five wins. So what would that be? Five and seven. Um, what level of failure is that for this program, considering the momentum it had uh, with the ACC championship? And then I, you know, a pretty solid season last year with nine wins. You know, Pitt fans can't take seasons like that for granted, considering how many six and six seasons they had under you know Todd Graham, Paul Christ in that era. Um, what what level of failure w- would you grade that as? If if you take a team that I think a lot of people were excited about, maybe not to contend for the ACC title or, um, you know, contend for the college football playoff or anything like that, but at least had hope that they could be at least as solid as they were last year. Maybe, you know, challenge for 10 wins or something like that with a bowl win. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big thing. That's the biggest thing is that it would be a huge failure. Failure. I mean, if you don't make a bowl game, if they go five and seven, that would be a big, big failure. And I'll tell you this one, uh, this is this also. This year eight of Pat Narduzzi, if they get the five losses this year, which it seems like they're going to, if they get the five losses this year, okay, that'll be six times in eight years he's lost five games or more. So, you know, and I'm not burying him and I'm not saying that, but, but, you know, all of the bravado and all the other stuff really basically boils down to one season 
where he had, a, you know, a, a 29-year-old quarterback or whatever. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, so, you know, he's got to do better. I'm not saying that you put him on the hot seat or you fire him, but I think it does speak volumes that you've had six times in eight years, five losses or more. That's not good. Well, I want to move on to Penn State here. Um, they trounce Iowa 31 nothing, but they, they're still not kind of kicking things into gear offensively in the, in the way I think a lot of people hoped and thought they would. The running game is, is still a little bit, um, you know, it, just, it seems like it's just kind of in a lower gear than, than we saw it at the end of last season when they were ripping off huge runs in the Rose Bowl. Um, it, does Penn State look like a playoff team to you today, Paul, just given what you've seen to this point? Because I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they don't have the explosiveness to, to do what it takes to, um, you know, get to the playoff and then certainly win in the playoff. And that's not to say that they can't develop it. I think we saw that in 2016 with Trace McSorley and, and all of those guys kind of really just coming into their own in the second half of that season and being pretty much unstoppable for the, for the rest of the campaign. But I don't today, I don't see it. Do you, Paul? I do because I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. And I think that if they can go, you know, say they, just split Ohio State and Michigan and then they beat the, you know, then they win the uh, Big Ten championship game, they're probably going to get to the playoffs. So, you know, the question is, can they win in the playoffs? I don't know that because, you know, um, I do think that they've got to get better and, and more consistent on offense. But I do think that uh, they've got the pieces in place. I think they can be a really good offense. And I think their quarterback is one of the best, you know, quarterbacks in the country right now. So um, I watched Ohio State now three times. I have seen nothing that from Ohio State that suggests they should beat Penn State. Um, they've got Ohio State's got a really good defense. Uh, their offense is not good at all. Michigan is always Michigan, you know, they're the same team, and they're just kind of a blue collar, grind it out kind of team. Um, I feel like Penn State should win the Big Ten. I feel like they're the best team in the Big Ten. I think, you know, the, the, the Alar kid is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, already. So, um, you know, the one thing I'll say is the teams down south, outside of maybe Georgia, I, I don't know how, how good any of those teams are either. So, you know, we'll see. I think they're going to get to the playoffs. So we'll get a chance to see. And I think by then they'll probably be really rolling because I think, you know, the, the, the quarterback is only, what, four games in or five games into his career. So, you know, by games 9, 10, 11, 12, I expect them to be rolling. So I'm high on Penn State. I really think they are the best team in the Big Ten, and I think they are going to uh, 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 win it. And, and I'll be shocked if they have one, more than one loss at the end of the Big Ten championship. Uh, at the end of the Big Ten championship game, I expect them to be at the very least 12-1, uh, and 1, if not 13-0. and 0. Yeah, unless Michigan doesn't lose. I mean, if you go 11-1 and 1, you lose to Michigan, Paul, but Michigan doesn't lose, then they go to the Big Ten championship, and then you're kind of in that, that second spot. And I, you know, I kind of look at that schedule. I talked with Seth Engel about this on the Penn State podcast. Florida State's passed a lot of their toughest tests already. Um, Texas is going to have Oklahoma in a couple of weeks, but then they don't have a whole lot that I think is, is stopping them. And they have a lot of, you know, they got a lot of hype behind them. I wonder if there is room for a second Big Ten team. Um, do you, I was going to ask about Ohio State, but it sounds like you think Penn State's going to beat Ohio State. How do you how do you size up that matchup with Michigan if, if that is ultimately the game for the Big Ten title? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I, I like Penn State's quarterback. 
you know, I'm a quarterback. I'm, I'm almost always a quarterback guy, especially in college football. I just feel like if you've got a guy like him that can make throws down the field, that can move you, that can get you in a position to score quickly, um, I think both teams have really good defenses. You know, I think Ohio State's got a great defense, but Ohio State's the worst offensively of the three. So, to me, I think Penn State-Michigan is going to be one hell of a game. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, but I like Penn State's quarterback. I like their chances to win it. And then, you know, if they win and they get to the Big Ten championship game, I don't even know who's on the other side. Is Wisconsin or Iowa? Whoever's going to be waiting for them is not going to be good. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that, that that's as big a concern for whoever gets there. Is you know, I think the last time Penn State made it, Wisconsin was number six in the country, um, and that was a potential boost to get them in the playoff. I don't think we're going to see anything like that this year. But again, if you win the Big Ten, I don't think you're going to need a boost unless you like have two losses somehow. But I don't see, I don't see two losses for Penn State and still getting into the Big Ten title. So, um, Paul, we'd be remiss not to talk about the Buckos here. We are in the final week of the season. Um, just kind of playing out the string. I think, you know, the, the, the air has pretty much gone out of that balloon. One thing people are talking a lot about is Miguel and Juhar, um, as a potential, you know, you and I have talked all season about who's going to play first base in this future team. Uh, Miguel and Juhar's torn it up in AAA. His numbers have been okay in the big leagues. Um, but you know, I don't, considering how many guys have come up from AAA (laughs) in the last handful of years, and not being able to make it stick. Do you have any faith in Miguel and Duhar being the fir- first baseman on opening day 2024 for a potential playoff-bound Pirates team? If he's their opening day first baseman, are they really going to be playoff-bound? That's that's what I would tell you. Um, you know, maybe he works his way into the mix. But if they literally – I'm going to tell you this much right now, Adam. If they go into the offseason – and their first base plan is is Andujar, and it's not. Let's go find someone else to also be in in the mix. Um, they're not really giving themselves the best chance to win. I mean, one of the things that is very frustrating about this team is they've had another one of these little spurts, you know, where they won twenty two out of like say you know thirty five. They're like twenty two and thirteen, or twenty two and eighteen, or something. But if you look at it again. I go back to this. At the beginning of the year, when they were taking advantage of some of the rules and this and that and everything, and they were stealing a million bases and all this stuff before people figured out how to do the pitch clock and all the all the rules about going over to first base, they were 20 and 8. Since that day, they are 54 and 76, which is not good by any standards. So all of these small sample sizes or whatever, well, I just did a small sample size as well. I give, you know, Charrington credit because he had he did the other day say, hey, 100, all 162 matter. And I agree with that. But it was a flukish, kind of a flukish feel to that 20 and 8 start. Uh, you know, some of those wins they had and this and that and everything. I mean, at the end of the day, if they would have been, you know, 14 and 14, I mean, we'd be talking about a team that's struggling to win 70 games. So, uh, and, I, and I'm not taking away that 20 day, but I'm saying if their plan is that we don't, I, you know, look, we won a few games down the stretch. We don't have to really get better or go out and get other players. If that's their plan, then we might as well just punt on, on 2024 because it's not good enough. 
Yeah, and I, I think that that's been the um, my concern with this rebuild is that it, it seems like it has a low ceiling to me. I'm not saying that the Pirates aren't going to get better. I'm not saying that they're not going to be in the 80 win bracket, right? But is that is that what you flushed five years of baseball away for? Is for them to peak at like 80, 87 wins? I, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think that 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 what that you know math is worth it. Oh, you you get a peak at 87 wins after flushing five years away. Maybe you get two or three years of being competitive. That's not worth it. And, and it's got to be better than that, Paul. And, and to your point, yeah, I think you do have to add substantially to this roster. Um, I also want to ask about Key Brian Hayes and, and Brian Reynolds. A lot of people are really optimistic about them after what they've seen this season. I think for good reason. They're good players. And and I think Key Brian Hayes has answered a lot of questions about can he be a, a good enough hitter for his his defense to really pop. He's gotten into that like 700 OPS range, 750. And, and I think that's what – if he can do that over a full season, that's an all-star right there. Um, but isn't there also in the back of your mind a concern that these guys had good years and, and you didn't really go anywhere? And right. then you, especially with Brian Reynolds, he's going to be 30 soon. And, and we know what happens to players after age 30. They, they decline. Um, do you have any concern that they've wasted these guys and, and that they've wasted a good year – from some of their best players by not having enough around them in year five of a rebuild. Yeah. I mean, again, that's the biggest thing about it is that, you know, uh, and, and you know how it is. I don't care what anybody says, Adam, they get off to a slow start. They could trade Brian Reynolds easily next year. There's no question about it. Right. And, or they could, they could do that. And, and, and so to me, um, these guys have had, you know, Brian Hayes is young and he's going to get better. And, you know, hopefully he keeps getting better now. I mean, he's, it looks like it. Uh, but it feels like they have wasted some of Brian Reynolds' career. And I don't know that I don't know that that, that by the time they're ready to win, he's still gonna be productive. So I look at all of these things and I say, this could be a situation of where, you know, their timing on some of this stuff is so bad that it never actually comes together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a legitimate concern that we've already seen the best of Brian Reynolds. Um, you know that that you've had his best years, and I mean he's already had a a great career, Paul. If if his career ended today, you'd say that guy had a good career. Certainly not a Hall of Fame kind of guy, but but a very solid player for a, a long period of time. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious to see how many really solid years he has left in him. Is someone who's in that category of probably not quite a Hall of Famer. Um, Paul, any final thoughts before we wrap up for the week? I know you got to go record another show, so yeah. I'm going to let you go here. No, we're good, man. I, th- I think it was good. I guess we'll talk, uh, what is it, Sunday, probably about, what, 4 o'clock. We'll talk again, right? Yes, we will be sitting down. That's a that's what we call in the business a tease, Paul. We are going to – me and Paul will be here for the Steelers post game show after Steelers-Texans, breaking down everything that happens in that game. Um, we've had some great audiences so far, so make sure you turn out, join – Join that great audience in the chat and, and let us know your thoughts, and, and we'll get to as many questions as we can. Um, also, stay tuned for Friday and Saturday. We're going to have special editions of the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter, um, and then we'll be into plenty of Steelers and Texans talk next week, so make sure you're subscribed. Please pop a like on this video. Help us out with the YouTube algorithm, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, my man. We'll see you. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.